My name is Dan, for those of you that I don't know, and um, I want to welcome you on this fine Mother's Day. Uh, we're going to talk about probably the most famous mother in history today uh, as we look at Luke chapter 1. Um, we are in between series today. Uh, we just finished up our series on Romans, and we're about to start a, a series on Jonah, uh, but we are just taking a break here uh, for timing's sake. And, and so we're going to talk a little bit about God's will. If you looked in your program, I think it said, uh, uh, what did it say? How do you know the will of God? That's uh, a little bit of a mistitle as I was preparing this message this week. Uh, it came, came to be more of a, uh, what is the will of God? And, and so we're just going to hopefully understand a little bit about God's will for our lives and, and uh, what, that, what it's all about and how God communicates that a little bit. Um, but I wanted to start off, since it is Mother's Day, with this quote from Rudyard Kipling. It says, God could not be everywhere, and therefore he made mothers. So, uh, Kind of a cool thought. Of course, it's not exactly theologically correct. God is everywhere. Um, but I think uh, Mr. Kipling is trying to uh, extol the virtues of mothers. Uh, and I think that the reason that this rings at least somewhat true to us is because there's a reality in which, although we know God is there, uh, there are times in life when it seems like he's not. Uh, when we wonder, what is the truth of this situation and what does he really want me to do? Um, God is real, and sometimes due to the lack of his physical presence, sometimes we kind of wonder uh, what he wants us to do and, and what's true about uh, our lives. So uh, on this Mother's Day, we're going to consider the story of Mary as she learns that she's going to be the mother of Jesus um, and kind of use that to reflect on God's will. So uh, if you would, uh, let me pray and then join me. If you've got a Bible, please you know, open it up to Luke chapter 1. Father, as we consider your will, it's enormous, uh, it's perfect, and you are perfect, and we realize that. And So God, we ask that you would use this time as we look at uh, what you did in Mary's life to help us understand what you're doing in our lives, uh, to help us understand uh, uh, both the majesty of your sovereign power and the reality of the gift that you've given us in being able to make choices and, and engage in this life um, with free will. And so, God, we ask that you would send your spirit now to be in us and with us, to speak to us. Uh, we ask that your word would become uh, life to us. And we ask this all in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So, uh, Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26, says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, 
and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So Mary has the baby Jesus. Uh, she and Joseph take Jesus, Jesus to the temple when he's of the appropriate age to be uh, circumcised. And while they're there, uh, a prophet named Simeon comes up to them. And I want us to fast forward a little bit to chapter 2. Verse 34 and 35, it says, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So as we consider this story of Mary and what she went through, uh, consider the impact of being a young lady and being told, you're not married yet, but you're going to have a kid. And oh, by the way, that child is going to be the most important person in all of human history. Okay. That would be a pretty enormous thing to hear, uh, as if seeing from an angel is not enough. Uh, and yet, as we consider what that would feel like for Mary, can you imagine her hearing that and saying, oh, what a task this is, but all of the little questions that would come up immediately after that, some of them aren't even that little, but how am I going to raise a child? How am I going to provide for him? How am I going to teach him? What am I supposed to do? Just question after question after question after question. And what we find when we consider God's will is that so often he lays out the big picture for us. And so often we get confused or at least anxious in the details. And so today as we consider God's will, here's what I want us to look at. First, what I'm calling God's imperative will, these aren't official theological terms. I was just trying to figure out how do I communicate this, and these are the words I came up with. Um, so bear with me in that. But the idea of an imperative will is God has spoken it, and it's going to come to pass. Okay? Uh, and the, then I want us to talk about God's discretional will. And the idea is there are some things that God wants, but even within the constraints of what he wants, he still allows us to have choices that bring those things to pass, or don't bring those things to pass. Uh, and finally, I want us to kind of consider how, how do we respond to knowing God's will. And I want you to, to understand that there are so many different places I wanted to go with this uh, sermon. There's just not enough time to address how exactly does God speak, uh, how exactly do we respond to him when he speaks. So, so really what we're doing is we're looking at the big picture of, of how God's will is expressed to us, and, uh, and we'll leave those finer details for another day. Um, and so as we, as we talk through God's imperative will and God's discretional will, I, I guess the way that you might frame that is God's imperative will is God has says it, and it's going to happen. And, and God's discretional will would be God has said it, but he is allowing us to decide if we're going to get on board with that or not. And so we'll talk through that in a little bit more detail. So, so let's talk first about God's imperative will. If you think about what Mary goes through in this passage we just read, okay, she, first off, gets to see an angel. So that in itself would just be an amazing thing. Okay? And then this angel shows up and, and starts talking to her and so it says, the Lord is with you. That is a declarative statement of a truth that I think Mary takes to heart. Uh, 
the angel starts off saying, you are not alone. Okay? And that is part of God's imperative will for Mary is, you are not in this alone. I am with you. And then the angel goes on to, to say in verses 31 to 33 about how her son is going to be the most significant person in all of human history. Okay? That he, he will be or is going to be the son of God. Right. And, and so she has another word from, from God, another aspect of his imperative will. The, the definite thing that's going to happen is she's told, you are going to carry this child, and you are going to raise this child, and this child is going to change the whole world. Okay? So some things we can take away from this is that when God speaks his will, his imperative will, it's clear. Mary has no doubt about what the angel says. Uh, his will is, is is known at that point. And so we might say, well, that would be nice if God would send an angel to us when we have questions, and that would be nice. But that is not his common practice. So the question then becomes, well, how do we know what God's imperative will is today? And the number one answer behind that is that he speaks through Scripture. Okay? Mary acknowledges that the angel is speaking the word of God. And we should acknowledge that, that God has spoken to us in this day, in this age, through this book. And so when we seek to know the will of God, we generally turn first to the Bible and we say, hey, what does the Bible clearly say? Uh, what is uh, God definitely going to do? And, and that is part of the clarity of, of how God speaks. Is he's given us the written word. He's also given us certainty, his imperative will, that which he will certainly bring to pass is, is certain. Why is it certain? Well, it's because God is sovereign okay, and because God's character is unchanging. You think about Mary in verse 32, she hears, your son will be great and will be called the son of the most high. Okay. God is speaking through the angel to Mary about something that is going to happen. And God is able to do that because he is outside of time. He knows everything that will happen between now and the end of the earth. Okay? And he knows everything that has happened prior to this time. And so when God speaks, he's not like us where we make guesses about what might come true. He speaks with absolute certainty because he is powerful enough to make what uh, he wants to happen, happen. We see this in the Bible beginning in Genesis 1. When God speaks... And the whole world comes into existence. Uh, we see it reiterated in Ezekiel. The prophet Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 12.25, For I am the Lord, I will speak the word that I speak, and it will be performed. So part of what we need to, to grasp as we consider God's will, God's imperative will, is that he's spoken clearly, and when he speaks, when it's clear what's going to happen, that thing is going to come to pass doesn't matter what we think about it. doesn't matter what we do. He's going to make it happen because he's God and he's able to do that sort of thing. Um, and, and part of when I say because he's God, it's super, super important that we acknowledge the fact that the Bible says that God is unchanging. It says in Malachi 3.6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Can you imagine if we had to worry about God getting too old and getting dementia? Okay. The, the world would be a very, very uncertain place. Uh, uh, there are some traditions that say God changes his mind, and the Bible says that is not true. Okay? God's character is solid 
throughout eternity. It is unchanging, unwavering. And so we can depend on him to come through because that's who he is, that's how he's always been, and that's how he always will be. So when we talk about God's imperative will, we can have confidence that it will come to pass uh, because of who he is. And lastly, I'd like you to consider that God's will is an expression of his love. And when God says things will come to pass, it is part of this massive, incredible plan that goes throughout history where God established the earth, established creation in such a way that, that mankind, when he was created, could live uh, you know, with sunlight and flowers and vegetables and birds and water and all the things that are necessary that, that God knew from the beginning of time that we would fall, that we would sin, and that God has put in a plan to bring it all back right through Jesus Christ. And so, so when we talk about God's will, we need to understand that that's an expression of his love, that he is bringing to pass awesomeness. Okay? And sometimes it doesn't look like it. Sometimes it feels like this is not awesome at all. But the truth is, is that when God speaks, he's speaking to bring about uh, that which is best for uh, his glory and for humanity. So that's God's uh, imperative will, uh, that he speaks clearly and certainly and, and that he speaks out of love to tell us, hey, this is how things are going to be. Uh, and then we'll contrast that with God's discretional will, this idea that there's some things that God says okay, that he is willing to allow us to have a say in. Okay? If you think of Mary... Um, you know, she's told that big picture of what she's going to do with this son. And I think it's amazing that she comes back and says, okay, whatever you want, let that be done. Because okay? I'd be like, hey, can I have the latest edition of the How to Raise a Messiah handbook? Because I don't know all the details that are coming, coming after this. Um, and those details are very important to us. Uh, Mary might be asking, you know, how am I going to do this as I'm unmarried? What time am I supposed to put the baby Jesus to bed? Should I feed him meat or vegetables? Who should his friends be? Should I let him date when he's old enough? All these different things that might be going through her mind, all these specific things that will be part of carrying out this uh, imperative will, this, this statement that God has said, hey, you will be the mom of uh, the Savior of the world. So, so when we consider God's discretional will, these, these things that may or may not matter to him. The first thing I would like you to think about is that some details are inconsequential to God. Okay? It's very possible that God did not care what time she put the baby to bed each day. She just left that up, or he just left that up to her uh, because those specific details are not necessary for him to be in control of in order to carry out his perfect plan. Not every decision we make is critical to God's divine will. So when we think about things in our own lives, uh, about whether God cares or not, whether things are small or big, if it's not stated in the Bible, God may not care at all. And, and that's not to say he, he is uh, uncaring, but he's just like, hey, that's up to you. Like whether you chose to wear the blue denim shirt or the red Hawaiian shirt today, or if you chose to, to live in this house over here, or that house over there, or if you are trying to decide this year whether you're going to vacation in Colorado or whether you're going to vacation in Oregon, God may be like, hey, whatever you want to do, go for it. 
Okay? Uh, why? Because he's delegated life to us. He has said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm making you my stewards, and I want you to use the talents that I've given you to figure things out. Okay? That's part of his discretional will. And, and as I say that, I want to reemphasize the fact that because God doesn't care about some of these details, it doesn't mean he doesn't care about you. One of the most amazing things in Scripture to me is when Jesus says, Ask, seek, and knock, and the Father will answer. To, to think that the creator of the universe invites us into a conversation with him is absolutely mind-blowing. Okay? So when I say some details don't matter to God, I'm not saying that he doesn't care. I'm saying that he has said, hey, you take care of that. I've made you in such a way as I'm trusting you to do so, and if I need to, I will speak. And that brings us to the second thought that that God cares very much about some other details. Some of those details that we thought he may not care about, he may care, care very much about. So what's that look like? You know, he may, when we talk about your denim shirt versus your Hawaiian shirt, okay, he may very much want you to wear your Hawaiian shirt today because he's going to use that to spark a memory in somebody that reinforces his love. You won't know that unless you're talking to him, and you would never know that just based on your own intellect. But he may care about that. He may very much want you to buy this house over here instead of that house over there, because this house has a neighbor that that person needs to know God. And if you live there, he will use you to share about Jesus. Okay? He may very much care about that. He may care very much about where you go to vacation. Because he's going to do something in you or in your family that somebody is going to need 10 years from now. You're going to have an experience or, or some kind of uh, uh, connection that 10 years from now, God's like, oh, they're going to need to know this. So I want them to go to Oregon this year. Okay? And he may say that. Here's the big thing is that when God doesn't care about some of the little details and do, does care about some of the, big, some of the little details, okay, um, we can't always just go to Scripture and find these things out. There's, there's nothing in, in here that says, thou shalt wear a Hawaiian shirt, right? Okay. So, so this depends on a personal relationship with God. It depends on the fact that we know God. Uh, I will say to you that for anything consequential, anything that God cares about in your life, any decision that you have to make where his discretional will is important to him, he will speak to you. He will prompt you through the Holy Spirit. He will give you some reflections on Scripture. He will bring other people into your life. He will answer your prayers. He will do something to say, hey, go this way. Make this decision. Make this choice. Because he cares and he loves you. And that's a beautiful thing because it means that God is alive and living with us. And it's a somewhat scary thing because it means that things are flexible that we have to depend on our relationship with God to know what he wants. And here's the cool thing is God doesn't stutter. He doesn't sometimes speak too softly. Okay? He is the perfect communicator. So if we are not hearing from him, the only reason that would be is if we are in rebellion against him. Okay? And, of course, the primary thing is if we do not know Christ as our Lord and Savior, then we will not know God. Okay. Here's what John 8, 47 says. It says, Whoever is of God hears the words of God. 
the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Okay? So if we are pursuing God, if we have trusted in Jesus as our Lord, then God will give us direction when we need to hear direction, and we will know his discretional will, and we will have the option at that point to choose whether we follow it or not. And so this is the point where i got to say, if anybody in this room does not know Jesus as Savior, when I say, hey, you need to trust in Jesus as your Lord, if that's like, I don't really know what that means, or I kind of know what that means, but I haven't done that, okay, then we ought to have a talk. Because everything else I've been talking about is essentially meaningless. Because without Jesus in your life, you're far from God. And God's will is not something that you're going to be able to partake in, except for his imperative will where he just says, hey, this is what what happens. So, if you don't know Jesus is your Lord, let's talk after the sermon. Uh, I'd like to talk to you about that. So, having kind of talked about what God's imperative will and what his discretional will is, here's where the rubber meets the road. How do we respond, or what does our response to God's will tell us about him and about us? Here's the first thing, and it's really cool. You and I cannot thwart God's will. If he's got something down the pipe, uh, or coming down the pipe, then it's going to happen whether or not you get on board with it, whether or not I get on board with it. And so this is, in a way, a warning to say, hey, don't fight God. Uh, Mary does not say, hey, no, 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 wait, I'm not up for having a kid yet. She just says, Lord, whatever you want, that's what I'm going to do. Okay? And, and when God speaks and says, this is how things are going to come about, uh, don't fight that because it's not going to go well for you. Okay? And, and so that's a warning in that res- respect, but it's also a blessing because knowing this means that I can relax. I don't have to worry about whether my choices will mess up God's plan. God is much bigger than that. Okay? So as I'm thinking through big life choices and I'm asking God, hey, help me figure this out, and I'm not in any kind of habitual sin which would keep me from hearing God, I can just go, hey, you know what? If I'm not hearing something from him, I don't need to worry about it. If, his, if he has not specifically spoken about this, I don't need to worry about it because he is so big, I cannot mess up his plan. And that's a good place to be. I love in Second Chronicles uh, the King Jehoshaphat, who's a really good guy, and it's fun to say Jehoshaphat, but the King Jehoshaphat has this huge army coming against him, and, and he's going to lose if he fights against this army. And, and so he goes to God in prayer and he says, God, we are powerless against this great horde that you're bringing against us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Okay? Jehoshaphat recognizes that God is the answer to everything, that it's us getting behind his will or under his will, not us worrying about whether or not we can accomplish his will, because he's going to do that uh, regardless of whether we participate or not. So that's important for us to remember. It's also important for us to remember what our responses to God's will reveal. How we respond to God's revealed will uh, reminds us or, or reveals to us about whether we really think his plan is best. In verse 38, Mary says, let it be to me according to your word. That's about it. She just says, okay, God, you've spoken. Sounds good. And we all probably would sit here and say, yeah, that sounds good to me. And yet in so many ways, we tend to limit what we're willing to allow God to do. Hey, God, I'll do anything you want. Just don't send me to Africa. 
right? right? Sometimes we do those kinds of things. I'll do anything you want, God. Just don't make me move. I like it here. Okay? So, so that, that is a mistake because if God is telling us to do something differently, his plan is best. You know, I, th- I think about, like, what if you've been ministering to your neighbors, trying to develop a relationship with, you, with them, and, and they're kind of far from God, and you're in the middle of the Adkins diet because you know it's a good thing for God says, hey, you know, treat the body like a temple, and, and then your neighbor goes, hey, will you come over for spaghetti dinner? Okay, what are you going to do? And you can go like, yeah, but you need to make me something special. Okay, or you can go, okay, God, I guess the Adkins diet is out, praise the Lord. Okay, and, and I'm going over. But, but we sometimes subtly and sometimes in bigger ways will put limitations on whether or not God's allowed to have his plan. And when we do that, it tells us whether we really believe that his plan is best. Here's another thing it reveals. How we respond to God's will reveals whether or not we understand that suffering is part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian. So, so that's why I had us read those verses from chapter 2. In, in verse 35, it says to Mary, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Here's the truth. If you follow God where he leads, you will weep, and you will suffer, and you will be persecuted. That's exactly what our Lord did. And when we follow him, we get the same thing. And so often when God reveals his will to us, we go, wait, 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 God, I thought you were a God of blessing, and yet this path that you're putting me on, it's going to be hard, it's going to be painful, it's going to be, it's going to be sorrowful, at least for a time. And we say, I'm, I'm not willing to go down that road. Okay? That reveals that we don't understand that God's plan is for us to go through hard times in accomplishing his purposes. Okay? Um, God's, our, our responses to God's will also reveal whether we really believe that God loves us. And here's one of the things that I think is really a temptation or, or a challenge for those of us that have devoted ourselves to Christ, uh, that believe that God is Lord, and yet still kind of get hung up on whether God really loves us. I was thinking about parenting fails, because I was like, well, what, what would be a way that that Mary might fail as a parent. And I was thinking of some of my own parenting fails. And I remembered a time when I was on a dock in Alabama, I think it was, and I was on a dock with Monica, and our son, probably seven years old, was on the dock next to us. They were just short docks, like maybe 15 feet long. And he's casting a fishing pole uh, and reeling it in so fast he would never catch a fish. But he's having the grand time. And, of course, we're on the next dock over so that we don't get snagged. And we're just chatting. And, and all of a sudden, we hear this giant splash. And I look over for my son, and he's not there. There's just bubbles coming up right next to the dock, right? And it turns out he had casted himself right into the water, okay? And I'm like, ah, so I jump up, and I start running around to get on that other dock. And as I'm doing that, he comes spluttering out of the water and grabs hold of the side of the dock and pulls himself out. So everything was okay, but I was like, oh, that was almost one of those times when it was a parenting fail, right? When, when I almost let my son get into a really bad spot. And I think about Mary thinking through things like that and, and the, the pressure on her, thinking, what if I'm too harsh with the Son of God? What if I'm too soft? What if I drop him? What if I make matzo ball soup that's too hot and he burns his mouth? What, what's God going to say? Okay? And, and if we're thinking in that, those terms, we're not really acknowledging that God actually loves us. We're thinking that our response to his will is more of a test than him leading us 
to the greatest blessings. In 21st century terms, what if I choose the wrong college? What if I choose the wrong spouse or the wrong profession? Uh, what if I, if I apply the wrong form of discipline in the wrong way and my kids become serial killers, right? All these types of things just burden us with anxiety when if we would realize that God loves us, that he proved that through his sacrifice of his own son, that he's not going to let you fail or fall, then we would relax and go, okay, God really loves me. I'll do my best and let him take care of everything else. I'll look for his will and follow his will when I know it and, don't, and I won't worry about the fact that I'm unsure in certain circumstances of what he wants me to do. So I think Mary is a great example of this. If you read the, the later verses in chapter 1, she goes through this, this basically like a song of how much she praises God for what he's doing. She understands that God's will is a will of blessing and of love and, uh, and that pursuing that is going to be the greatest blessing and being comfortable that when God's not speaking, uh, we don't need to worry about it because he's got us all the time whether we're hearing him or not. Okay? So that's something that we should keep in mind. So just to kind of wrap this up, I wanted to give you two examples uh, hopefully this hasn't been too esoteric or, or kind of philosophical, but I, I, I want to anchor it in two examples before we finish up here. First off, let's say that you are seeking a job. What would God's imperative will be? That would be the stuff that we find in Scripture. We found, looked in Scripture, we see that, that work is a gift given at the Garden of Eden. Uh, we're supposed to work and works well. work well. That's what Paul says in Acts 20 and Colossians 3. Um, it says in Second Thessalonians that he who won't work shouldn't eat. And Ephesians 2.10 tells us that God has saved us to do the good works that he's prepared for us. So this concept of having a job, two thumbs up. That's, a, that's, a, that's an imperative will kind of a statement. Which job am I supposed to have? Well, I can be pretty sure that if I want to be a bartender at a Las Vegas strip club, that God probably is not going to approve of that, right? But what if I'm thinking about being an administrator or a carpenter? What does God say about that? What if I'm thinking about working at Widgets Incorporated or the Acme Company? Which one should I go to? Okay. This is the place where his discretional will becomes a question. And so the number one thing we should be doing is asking him. That's why we so emphasize prayer over and over and over again. We should be in this conversation with God saying, Hey, God, tell me what you want to do if you want me to do something. And if he says, Go work for Acme, and the pay at Widgets Incorporated is a lot better, I hope you go to Acme. Right? Because God has just spoken. And if he doesn't say anything at all, you're like, what about this one? What about that one? I hope you'll joyfully go, hey, I'm going to pick Widgets Incorporated. Because I know I've asked God, and he's not telling me to go anyplace else. So I'm going to enjoy this, this gift of life that he's given me, and I'm going to go pursue that job. Okay? The second example I've got for you is what if, just say for a hypothetical example, you're a church seeking a pastor. Okay? So, so, so what is God's imperative will? Okay? We know from Ephesians 4 that a pastor is given by God to equip the saints for ministry. Okay? We know that a pastor is part of the body of believers from that same book. We know from 1 Timothy and Titus that there are certain qualifications that pastors have to have. But it doesn't say anywhere in there about which pastor we're supposed to have or when we're supposed to have a given pastor or anything like that. And so we get to this place where we're like, God, we know it's right for us to seek a pastor, but what do we do now? And as we're seeking a pastor, what if there are three candidates with whom God would be equally pleased? We're looking for that one guy, right? And there is one guy that God has foreordained will be here 
I don't know when, but he'll be here sometime. Okay? But he may not be like, hey, you guys need to choose just this one guy. He may be like, you know what, you guys choose, and that'll be part of the plan that I put in from the beginning of time. Okay? Uh, what if God is saying, the guy I want at Red Hills will be avail- available in October? Okay? Are we willing to work and wait that long? The whole search team's like, no, no. <laughs> okay? But God's timing is part of what we're looking for here. What if he has ordained, or his desire is that we would accept somebody who is somewhat poorly equipped, who has some rough edges, because he knows that Red Hills is just the group to, to file off those rough edges, okay? Or what if there's one guy who is perfectly equipped to take Red Hills to the next level, and that is God's plan? I don't know, okay? What I do know is if we pray... And if we pursue God's will, that he will re, uh, reveal these things to us. So when Greg stands up here and says, hey, guess what? We called this guy and he's going someplace else. My first response is, ah. Okay. My second response is, praise the Lord. We have been praying for months for the right person to be here filling this pulpit. And God just answered as clearly as he possibly can that that guy we thought was the right guy is not. Okay. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord that we know that he is working to to bring about what he wants to bring about as part of his perfect plan. So here's the conclusion. Mary says, let it be according to your word. When we look at God's imperative will, the things that he's said very, very clearly, we've got to say, let it be that way, God, because it's going to be that way anyways. When we look at his discretional will, when we're trying to work our way through all these things that are semi-optional, Okay? that God is, is allowing us to make choices as he works out his perfect plan, we ought to say, hey, God, I'm going to ask you about everything, and when you speak, I'm going to pursue you, and when you're silent, I'm going to use the gifts and talents you've given me to, to move forward in the direction that I know lines up with the rest of your will. Okay? That's where we're supposed to be as Christians, trusting in all of this, that God is love, and that as long as we keep our eyes on him, as long as we're willing to do whatever he asks, then we can move forward with confidence, with joy, rejoicing in the fact that God is great and that he has called us to be part of what he's doing on this earth and, frankly, what he's doing for eternity. Let's pray.